Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. Hello and welcome to Born of Wonder. I'm Katie Marquette. I'm so glad you are tuning in here on this rainy evening uh, is when I am recording this. Uh, Maybe the rain will continue so that you all can be cuddled up with a cup of tea when you're listening to this. I hope so. I hope that lots of coziness and candles and wonderful fall things are ahead now that we are in September. Uh, I hope everyone is is doing well, not too busy, kids back to school, all that overwhelming stuff that happens this time of year. So I hope that you get to find a little bit of quiet today as well. Uh, so today on the podcast, I'm going to be sharing with you um, an episode I did uh, on my old podcast on fairy stories back from 2020. And I really, really love this episode. I'm so excited to share it with you. I re-listened to it and I just, I really loved it. I loved um the things that were brought up. I had forgotten about a lot of it. And uh, it's just fascinating. It's an amazing uh, lens in which to view the world. Uh, The Hero's Journey, made famous by Joseph Campbell, but um, I go through lots and lots of really incredible stories. We're going to talk about Doctor Who and Star Wars and Blessed Franz Jagerstadter and uh, and Perseus and and Lord of the Rings. And just it's um, pretty far reaching. And I'm really, really excited to share it with you. Um, so uh, yes, I, I wish I had time to do a new episode, but I think it actually works out really well because I'm guessing a lot of you haven't heard this episode um, and and I'm excited to get to share it with you. It's just been, it's been really busy around here and uh, I'm, I'm about 20 weeks pregnant now and I've been having like amazing energy, just doing really great. But just like the past day or two, I have been exhausted. I think the baby's going through a growth spurt or something. And of course my, uh, you know, out of the womb baby, <laughs> Jojo is uh, cutting like about five teeth right now and is uh, really, really needy. So I'm pretty tired. I didn't have time to prepare uh, a new episode, but like I said, I think it's working out just fine. So, uh, so I'm really, really excited to share this episode about the hero's journey with you. I did want to just share a few things that I've been reading and things I've been listening to lately. Uh, just just let you know uh, some recommendations I have. Uh, I If you are not subscribed to the magazine Plow, I really, really recommend it. I really, really enjoy their writing. I enjoy they're themed. Um, they do. They do sort of themed installments. Every every issue is it has a theme, and so the latest uh, latest edition for this fall was about vows, and it was really really interesting. And they sort of they they looked at um, things like oaths and vows and what that means, uh, especially today in a modern world where people are quite hesitant to take vows, whether uh, religious uh, marriage vows uh, or anything else. So. So uh, really interesting. There was a really, really um, sort of thought-provoking essay about the Hippocratic Oath, which most most doctors do not take, uh, which I didn't know. It's sort of a myth that most doctors have always taken it. So that was interesting to learn about. Um, There's uh, uh, one by a religious sister, um, by some people who are part of religious communities, married people. 
Uh, and then my favorite essay was one about Les Miserables, uh, which I love the book, I love the musical, and um, this was a beautifully written essay. I'm not sure, I think it's probably available to non-subscribers, in which case I will link it in the show notes. But it was just really, really thought-provoking because that story is really all about vows, right? Breaking vows and promises and what happens, uh, like sort of exchange of... Um, of promises really you know when the priest initially uh sort of he 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 barters uh <laughs> for valjean's soul when he says uh you know i've done this good deed for you i didn't tell the police you stole these candlesticks but i have bought your soul for god he says uh, and in the article they go through some differences between the book and the movie and uh really explain the complex uh dynamics between javert and valjean and so if you're a fan of the musical uh, or the book, um, or both. Uh, I really recommend this article, which I will, if I, if I can't find it available online, I will at least link the title so that you can look it up. And again, I would recommend Plow as something uh, to, to consider subscribing to. Uh, I've been also listening to a band called Low Lily. They are sort of a folksy bluegrass acoustic band. Um, I discovered them a couple years ago when I worked at the radio station, at the public radio station in town. One of the cool things was the midday show that I would often engineer would have live musicians sometimes as like a feature on Fridays. And this band just came in and played and it was so cool. And I still really like their music. Um, and so I will play one of their songs for you now. Uh, right before we launch into the into the hero's journey episode and then I'll just let that episode play out I did also want to make a few notes about the episode itself in it I mentioned Doctor Who and I talk about how I hadn't watched the ninth Doctor season yet well I since have watched it I very much enjoyed it I still think David Tennant is the best I also reference a graphic uh, showing the hero's journey uh, in Joseph Campbell's uh, explanation, and I reference how I put it up on the On Fairy Stories website, which does not exist anymore, so I will uh, try to find a link to an image of that so that you can you can uh, look at that anyway. I also talk about how I haven't seen any Terrence Malick films except for Hidden Life. I have since watched um, Tree of Life, which is probably his most famous, and I wasn't a huge fan, actually. Um, I think there were some very thought-provoking moments and images and things like that, but after having seen A Hidden Life, I thought that was a much deeper, more profound movie. So um, just a few notes there uh, on the, the dated parts of the episode. But again, I think you're really going to enjoy this. I think the hero's journey is a lens through which we can understand our own lives and our own journeys. And that's something I feel very passionate about. I've talked about it a lot, living the story of your life, about viewing your life as a narrative. You, I think, yeah, it was Nora Ephron who said, you know, don't live your, you're the hero of the story. You're not the victim, live like it. <laughs> uh, so I think that this will be um, hopefully a nice rabbit hole of interesting stories to go into, uh, as well as inspiring for your own journeys. Just a quick note, if you'd like to support the, the podcast, you can go to patreon.com, uh, link in the show notes, link on the website, bornofwonder.com. I have gotten a few new patrons lately. Thank you so much. Really, I so, so appreciate it. I And your kind words mean everything to me. Uh, as everybody knows, this is a passion project, so your notes and everything like that mean, mean a lot to me, um, and your support does as well. Uh, if you've become a patron in the last month or so, uh, and you're waiting for a letter, know that I will be getting around to it soon. <laughs> hopefully this month, hopefully very soon. So um, thank you for your patience. I really do appreciate it. And I love sending those letters and I want to, 
you know, have the time to, uh, I don't want to just dash something off. So thank you again for your patience. Um, and if you'd like to just visit the website, bornofwonder.com, you can contact me there, read essays, all those sort of things. Please think about reading, leaving a review on iTunes. Uh, so important, so appreciated. Uh, every single one means so much to me uh, to see those reviews. And they are, of course, very important to those, uh, you know, mysterious iTunes algorithms. So <laughs> I really do appreciate that. But anyway, let me launch into a song here by Lo Lily. Uh, it's called The House Carpenter. And I will, of course, link to that in the show notes. And uh, I will then fade right into the episode on the hero's journey. I hope you have a great week and I'll be back with you soon. Returned from the salt, salt sea And it's all for the love of thee Come in, come in, my old true love Have a seat with me It's been three quarters of a long, long year Since together we have have been on my mind a lot recently uh, just because it was one of those strange things where a couple of things I was watching or reading listening to sort of all came together and you might say that they are unrelated but actually um, the question of heroics courage what makes a hero what is the hero's journey is in all of them so I've been re-watching the BBC sci-fi show uh, Doctor Who I really only ever watched um, the David Tennant and Matt Smith series um, I know for the fans of the ninth doctor this is a real sin so i apologize for that i should go back and watch his season but um i just finished david tennant's um era as the doctor uh, and there were just so many examples in this show um of heroics both on the part of the doctor but also um almost more so on the part of his human companions if you follow my blog um born of wonder maybe you saw my recent piece which was uh, all about what Doctor Who taught me about the saints, and um, you could really sub in also uh, the word heroes there um, instead of saints, because saints are heroes, of course. If you want to check that out, uh, just go to bornofwonder.com. But anyway, so Doctor Who got me thinking about um, what it means to be a hero, what it means to have to sacrifice so much in order to be a hero. 
And then also about a month ago, um, I watched this movie called A Hidden Life, which is a Terrence Malick film about uh, this man named Franz Jagerstadter, who I had never heard of before. Uh, he's actually a blessed, so uh, on his way to becoming a saint. But he's just this incredible man who had the conviction to stand up uh, to the Third Reich, and he refused to take the oath to Hitler, ultimately losing his life. Uh, he became a martyr for that cause. So, And we also have to remember at the time that um, he was really ostracized by his community. Uh, even the church was not standing up to the Nazis and was encouraging people to sort of go along, save their own lives. So this really took a great amount of personal courage. Um, and. He, his actions easily could have gone unnoticed, uh, except that sort of his journals, some essays he wrote, and the letters he wrote back and forth to his wife, uh, Fanny, uh, became available, and uh, you know the church has recognized what he's done, and now there's a movie out. It's a beautiful movie. Uh, the soundtrack is so stunning. The visuals are really compelling. Uh, less of a biopic um, than more of a using Franz's life as a meditation on our own conscience, what it means uh, to stand up for a cause, would we have that kind of conviction? So I really recommend the movie. So, but anyway, so Doctor Who, Franz Jagerstadter, uh, I'm reading Franz's uh, letters now also. Uh, and then this all led me to reading some Joseph Campbell, um, just some selections online from his uh, very famous book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. So what do you think of when you think of a hero? Um, we probably all have some pretty stereotypical images in our head. I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields when the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day we fight. By all that you hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand, men of the West! Of course, someone like Aragorn leading troops into battle, there is not much more heroic than that. Um, <laughs> and sometimes heroism does uh, sort of have that flashy side, right? That uh, warrior warrior king leading his troops into battle, uh, very gallant and noble and in front of the, in front of the whole world. Um, but we also have to remember um, that there are heroes like Franz, um, you know, whose heroism was a quieter kind and uh, could have easily been forgotten, uh, but it was still heroic and it was still the right thing to do. And actually there's a quote from um, Return of the King, which is that, uh, which is, a time may come soon when there will be need of valor without renown, for none shall remember the deeds that are done in the last defense of your homes, yet the deeds will not be less valiant because they are unpraised. Related to this, um, in A Hidden Life in the movie, uh, there's a quote, that is um, that's that's featured before the film, and it's uh, George Eliot from Middlemarch, and the quote is: "For the growing good of the world is partially dependent on unhistoric acts, and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life, and rest in unvisited tombs." So this quiet sacrificial heroism. Um, 
I think is very important to acknowledge. But first, before we dive into that and sort of what that means, sort of the Franz Jagerstadter style of heroism, um, quieter, uh, a quieter heroism, I suppose, um, we should define, um, go into some definitions here, courtesy of Joseph Campbell. I'm sure you've heard of him. Um, he's like, if you bring up myths, uh, stories, he is everybody's go-to guy, although he's fallen out of favor uh, with some modern folklorists. Uh, of course, you know, time passes and different, different modes of interpretation uh, become more in style than others. But anyway, um, so he was an American professor of literature at Sarah Lawrence College for a long, long time, I think like 36 years, uh, who worked in comparative mythology and comparative religion. He's um, most known for his concept of the monomyth, uh, the idea that there's one myth, um, basically one mythic narrative and one great story that's told throughout all myths and legends of the world. So very Jungian um, and Freudian too, in a way, um, sort of this idea that there are these um, innate recurring themes in the human story. And um, the whole sort of thesis of his book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, is that uh, although in all these different cultures, uh, you had different heroes, you know, that represented the values of individual societies, basically the hero's quest uh, was usually the same. And these stories um, largely told the same story, actually. Uh, so I think that Tolkien would agree with this to an extent because he always said that, um, you know, and C.S. Lewis also would talk about true myths and talk about the good dreams that myths were, um, that pre-Christian myths were. So I think that certainly they would say, yes, the human mind, the human soul is sort of primed for uh, the receptivity of a certain kind of narrative, uh, a hero's sacrificial um, narrative, basically. Uh, I don't think Campbell Campbell would have more of the psychological Jungian approach, but they're sort of saying the same thing. So what does Campbell, how does Campbell dis define a hero? Campbell says that, quote, a hero is someone who has given his or her life to something bigger than oneself. The hero, the waker of his own soul, is himself but the convenient means of his own dissolution. So you can see that he certainly saw a sacrifice as fundamental to what it means to be a hero. He also said, this is another quote, the hero of yesterday becomes the tyrant of tomorrow unless he crucifies himself today. According to Campbell, all heroes' journeys um, are essentially the same. Uh, I'm going to put a graphic on the website on fairystories.com where you can uh, see more from this episode, some images. I'm going to put this graphic that... Um, that shows uh, basically Campbell's idea of the hero's journey. And it's a sort of a circle. Maybe you remember this from your English class <laughs> back in middle school or something, but um, it's a circle that's split in two with ordinary world on top and special world on the bottom because all heroes start in an ordinary world you know, where you see the hero in their sort of humdrum, you know, everyday life, and then something happens, right? So we always start in the ordinary world. I'll go through here. So ordinary world is the first step. And then there's some sort of call to an adventure. And then uh, the, the would-be hero, there's a refusal of the call, uh, a questioning, I can't go, I can't do it, I'm not good enough. 
and then uh, a mentor usually arrives on scene to give them the conviction to go. And then uh, there's the crossing of the threshold, sometimes accompanied by uh, some sort of meeting with um, mythical or supernatural powers. And then come tests um, where you meet allies and enemies and all kinds of uh, crazy things happen. You've now entered, you've crossed that threshold into the special or um, supernatural world of the myth. And then there's what they call approach to the inmost cave, sort of a um, a true test of that that brings the hero to basically hell and back. Uh, sometimes literally represented with some sort of descent. Uh, think of going into the mines of Moria. That's one aspect. Um, and then there is a overcoming of that challenge, rewards, seizing the sword, etc. And then we get back to the threshold here, um, where you enter back into the ordinary world. And there's some sort of new hero that has emerged, a resurrection of some kind, or think of um, Luke Skywalker after he has um, the first time that he fights with Darth Vader uh, and he learns that he's his father and he's um, sort of weakened and thrown off by that experience. Then he, when he meets Darth Vader again, he is this um, calm, composed, totally in control Jedi. So he's crossed the threshold. He is a new man. He's a new hero. And then there is the return to ordinary life uh, that is now redeemed and saved and altered by the hero's journey. So that was a really uh, quick sum up, <laughs> um, but you get the idea. So, um, and to quote Campbell here, the usual hero adventure begins with someone from whom something has been taken. Uh, I think also I, I'm using uh, Luke Skywalker a lot because um, George Lucas explicitly linked uh, Star Wars. Uh, he said Star Wars to the hero with a thousand faces. He credited reading Campbell with helping him to formulate this plot. So anyway, so as uh, Campbell was saying here, the usual hero adventure begins with someone from whom something has been taken, like Luke's, um, you know, uh, family has been taken from him. He's an orphan, basically. His father has been taken. He's living with his aunt and uncle. Um, or, quote, who feels there is something lacking in the normal experience available or permitted to the members of society. The person then takes off on a series of adventures going beyond the ordinary, either to recover what has been lost or to discover some life-giving elixir. It's usually a cycle, a coming, and a returning. Think Tolkien here and The Hobbit, the original name, there and back again. The back again is just as important as the outward adventure, there and back again, coming and returning. So the hero's uh, journey is always cyclical and he always ends up back home. He always ends up back at the same place. He has changed though, uh, the hero has changed. So I was thinking about these uh, <laughs> these Doctor Who companions, again, focusing mostly on the 10th Doctor here, but uh, you know, they're all very ordinary women. Um, if you don't know about Doctor Who, this might be confusing for you, but basically uh, the Doctor is a Time Lord, um, so he can travel time and space and dimensions, but he's the last of his kind, and he always brings with him uh, a human companion. Basically, he's lonely, and also these humans sort of save him uh, from himself sometimes. So anyway, these women that he takes along as his human companions are all so ordinary when we meet them. Um, you know, Rose is the daughter of a single mom. She works as a retail worker, just sort of your ordinary everyday girl. When we first meet Martha, she is a medical student sort of dealing with a typical family drama. Her parents are divorced and they're trying to organize a birthday party for her brother who's turning 21. So 
again uh just your average normal everyday gal and then uh there's donna who um perhaps m m more than even rose and martha is very insistent on her um unextraordinariness on her very ordinary life she's a temp worker from chiswick and uh, she doesn't understand why the doctor is so insistent on her being so special. So um, yeah, all these women uh, are very, very ordinary, uh, and then they are sort of called, uh, called to arms, called to action uh, by uh, taking up with the doctor. They go out on their hero's journey. They are faced with all kinds of obstacles, uh, meet friends along the way. There's a crossing of the threshold, um, a very typical hero's journey, and then they all come back uh, really changed uh, people and their hero's journey is complete. So I, you can just see this. I mean, once you once you have this pattern in your head, you're going to see it everywhere. You're gonna see it in all your favorite books and movies. Um, and it doesn't have to look like um, Aragorn, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, the warrior king. It can be uh, it can be Donna Noble uh, in Doctor Who. It can be an office temp who, um, you know, does something extraordinary, uh, something extraordinary she didn't think that she was capable of. And uh, that's a hero's journey, certainly. Or it can be Franz Jagerstadter. Uh, if you think about, again, sort of that cycle of the hero's journey that Campbell gives us, uh, I think that we can see with somebody like Franz, who's uh, struggling with a moral question, like, do I take the oath to Hitler? They're actually, he's actually following uh, the path of the hero's journey. And uh, if you think about sort of his own faith and how he relied on prayer and dreams and conviction and uh, moral theology to make his decision, uh, there's certainly a crossing of the threshold from the ordinary world into the supernatural world, uh, where he, you know, again, descending into the cave, into hell, uh, Franz dreamt of a train uh, plummeting towards hell and he, he realized that he needed to get off the train. He saw everyone, all his friends and neighbors getting on the train, all of Austria getting on the train, and he realized he needed to get off that train. Uh, so, you know, uh, the hero's journey continues for him, um, where he has a battle, uh, you know, a battle of consciousness. Uh, do I endure this? Do I go to prison? Can I martyr myself like this? Can I leave, leave my family? And then there's sort of, again, the road back, except in his story um the resurrecting moment uh would be the moment actually of his death and uh terence malik certainly uh paralleled franz's life to christ's in the movie um franz himself uh, if you've seen any of malik's other movies i actually haven't but from what i hear he is very subtle with his dialogue and uh this movie is no exception franz actually hardly speaks um which is an interesting decision, but I actually think it's because he was really trying to sort of paint him as uh, as Christ. Franz was a Christ figure for Moloch in the film, um, whereas in reality, I know from reading his letters and um, uh, some about his biography, he was actually quite a outspoken, argumentative guy, which wouldn't have uh, fit the profile as much, at least symbolically, uh, in the film. But in any case, Franz's uh, return is actually going to be his death. Uh, but we do know from Campbell and we know um, from many myths and legends, we know from Doctor Who, <laughs> that, uh, that the hero's journey can and often does end in uh, the sacrifice, the crucifixion of the hero. Of 
quoting Campbell here, a hero ventures forth from the world of common day into a region of supernatural wonder. Fabulous forces are there encountered and a decisive victory is won. The hero comes back from this mysterious adventure with the power to bestow boons on his fellow man. So even in the case of somebody like Franz who had to give up his life, um, here I am in 2020 talking about him, reading his letters. So certainly his adventure, his heroics, uh, have bestowed boons on his fellow man. He has uh, left a legacy behind, and that can sometimes be the gift of a hero as well. So again, um, a great example of the hero's journey is uh, found in the Star Wars movies, found in George Lucas, and Joseph Campbell certainly recognized that. Uh, here's a clip from him talking with Bill Moyers about uh, about Star Wars. When I took our two sons to see it, they did the same thing the audience did at that moment when the voice of Ben Kenobi says to Luke Skywalker in the climactic moment, Use the Force, Luke. Let go, Luke. The audience broke out into they did. elation and to applause. Well, you see, this thing communicates. It is in a language that is talking to young people today, and that's, that's marvelous. So Luke certainly follows the progression of the hero um, being called to action, uh, his meeting with uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, a uh, mentor, a teacher. He's sort of entered into this supernatural realm. He meets his fellow travelers and Han Solo and Chewie and, um, of course, Princess Leia. And, um, you know, their adventure begins. They have many trials, near-death escapes along the way. And then he um, is brought to sort of a final trial uh, with Darth Vader and with Emperor Palpatine and uh, proves himself. And they come back uh, basically to establish this new world. And Luke is a new man uh, with new wisdom to bestow on the world as a Jedi. But um, whenever we think of uh, the hero's journey, I, I always think of the story of Perseus, and I think it's used a lot um, when this theory is taught. So I'm going to go through that story a little bit if you're not familiar with it. The story of Perseus uh, is an ancient Greek tale, of course, um, and he is considered to be the greatest Greek hero and slayer of monsters before the days of Hercules. And he's actually a um, like a great-great-great-grandfather of Hercules in uh in Greek mythology. So um, I actually heard first the story, I think I first became acquainted with the story of Perseus uh, in, I don't know if you ever saw it, it's a movie from 1981, not the newer version, but it's called Clash of the Titans. So it's a lot, <laughs> uh, hmm, uh, the special effects leave something to be desired is what I'm trying to say, but there's some really charming, hilarious elements to it, including a sort of robotic flying owl. I'm trying to remember what point of that was. <laughs> Are the gods an owl? Golden owl. <laughs> but um, anyway, it's sort of a wonderful story, but uh, I don't remember how exactly they stick to sort of the uh, traditional story of Perseus. But let's go through it. Let's learn a little bit about uh, about Perseus and his trials and his adventures slaying monsters and saving princesses and uh, becoming a great king. 
So the story of Perseus begins with a prophecy, uh, and the prophecy is given to Acrisius, who is the king of Argos, and he is desperate for a son, he only has a daughter, uh, but instead of telling him that he will have a son, the oracle tells him that one day he will be killed by his daughter's son. So in order to uh, make sure that his daughter does not become pregnant, he locks her away uh, in, in, a, in, a bra in a bronze chamber, which is open to the sky in the courtyard of his palace. And uh, there, uh, much to his surprise, she does become pregnant because Zeus comes to her in the form of a shower of gold coming through that open rooftop and uh, she becomes pregnant with her son, Perseus. So um, the king sort of realizes something divine has happened here, so he doesn't want to anger the gods by uh, killing his daughter or the child, so he um, basically throws them into the ocean uh, in a wooden chest. So, uh, and his daughter's name is Danai. So Danai prays uh, for deliverance and is heard by uh, Poseidon, and they are washed ashore on, on an island where they are taken in by a fisherman named Dictus. And Dictus sort of becomes a father figure um, to both Perseus and Danae and uh, raises them together. Um, but and his brother, it turns out, is uh, the king, and not such a nice king at that. His name is Polydictus. And uh, so that becomes relevant later because as Perseus becomes a young man, uh, Polydictus becomes interested in his mother Danae, and uh, Perseus is not a big fan of that. And uh, in order to keep uh, Polydictus from advancing on his mother. He says, um, you know, give me a quest and, and grant my mother her freedom. There's other stories uh, where there's going to be a wedding feast and uh, Polydictus says that everybody should bring a horse as a gift and, um, and Perseus says, I don't have a horse, what can I bring instead? But either way, uh, his goal is to free his mother from these sort of unwanted advances. And Polydictus gives Perseus an impossible task. He, he thinks this will end in his death. He's sure of it. Um, he says, I need the head of a gorgon. And a gorgon is uh, basically a monster. Uh, famously, there were three of them, three sisters. And uh, Medusa, of course, is the most famous. Uh, snakes for hair, just sort of these hideous creatures. And they can kill you, uh, turn you into stone just by looking at you. But Perseus, uh, very arrogant and uh, sure of himself, says, no problem, I will go get this Gorgon, I will get her head for you, uh, and off he goes. So his hero's journey has begun. He has um, been called to action and he has set out. And this is also the moment uh, for Perseus of sort of the crossing of the threshold into the supernatural realm, into the special realm, uh, because as soon as he sets out, uh, Athena instructs Perseus to find the Hesperides, and the Hesperides are um, the nymphs of evening and golden light of sunsets, sort of these magical nymph-like creatures, and, um, and they're said to uh, tend Hera's orchard. So in order to find them, he goes to uh, these three old sisters, uh, the three gray women, and they all share one eye. They're blind, but they have a single eye, and they're passing it from one to the other. So they're very these creepy witch-like figures, and uh, they have the gift of sight. You know, they can tell him where he'll, where he can find the Hesperides and help him on his quest. But Perseus cleverly uh, snatches the eye from them and holds it ransom until they tell him where the nymphs are. So after the sisters have led him to the Hesperides, he uh, returns the eye. 
And the Hesperides um, give him gifts to help him on his journey. They give him uh, a knapsack to put Medusa's head in because remember she can her eyes can turn somebody to stone so you have to have pretty secure uh backpack <laughs> to put her head in so they give him that and uh Zeus gives him a very special sword a very strong sword and Hades um gives him a helm of darkness to hide in basically a invisibility cloak if you will uh, Hermes gives per Perseus some winged sandals to fly, and Athena gives him a polished shield that sort of has a perfect reflection. So armed with all these gifts, uh, this supernatural aid, he heads uh, to Medusa's cave. Again, remember the descent into the cave. So in his case, he's literally descending. And uh, he defeats Medusa by only viewing her in uh, the reflection of his shield, in that perfectly polished shield that Athena gave him. So, uh, and th in that way, he's able to uh, cut Medusa's head off. So, uh, on his way home, with Medusa's head safely in his special knapsack, um, he stops in the kingdom of a mythical version of Ethiopia ruled by King Caiaphas and Queen Cassiopeia. And Queen Cassiopeia is very proud of uh, the beauty of her daughter, Andromeda, and she even compared her beauty uh, to the sea nymphs, uh, and Poseidon is quite upset by this. And so um, Poseidon sends all this sort of plagues onto the land, and a sea serpent is, is harassing the coast of the island, and uh, the oracle announces that there will be no relief until the king uh, ties his daughter up on the rock side uh, as an offering to the great sea monster. So she is sort of, she's chained up there, and um, just in time, Perseus slays the monster, sets her free, and marries her. So um, now he is with his new wife, his new beautiful wife, Andromeda, in tow. He heads back home and finds that Polydictus has not left his mother alone, and he kills Polydectus uh, with the head of Medusa, uh, having him look into her eyes and he turns to stone. So he has safely returned, um, beautiful new wife by his side, he saved his mother, and all is well again, the hero's journey is complete. Uh, and remember that oracle in the beginning about um, him killing his grandfather, there are different versions of how that's fulfilled, in most of them um, he goes to some sort of a legendary game, a discus throwing game, and he accidentally um, kills his his grandfather, unbeknownst to him, his grandfather in the audience. Some sort of terrible trick of fate like that that just um, was meant to be, he could not avoid it. Legend goes that Athena placed Andromeda in the stars when she died uh, among the constellations in the northern sky near Perseus and Cassiopeia. So Perseus is a very classic uh, hero's tale, uh, there and back again story. Of course, you can find a very similar story in Odysseus, a classic journey home uh, story with many trials to overcome the ordinary world into the supernatural world, uh, there and back again. And um, I mean, the stories of King Arthur, uh, there's, there's so many examples, and of course, many, many modern examples, including Doctor Who. 
So uh, yes, heroism has been on my mind. What does it mean to be a hero? And uh, what a lot of hero stories have in common, I mean, Perseus, of course, is half god. He had uh, a bit of extraordinary this uh, there to begin with. But in many of these hero stories, you think of Bilbo, um, <laughs> a quote here from Bilbo from The Hobbit, we are plain quiet folk and have no use for adventures, nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things, make you late for dinner. I can't think what anybody sees in them. <laughs> um, so like Bilbo, many heroes start out um, not wanting to leave, not wanting to be a hero, not wanting to sacrifice themselves or go on an adventure. They're scared, they're ordinary, uh, they have a lot to learn, they have a lot of virtues still to obtain. So the hero's story is really about uh, ordinary people doing extraordinary things, and I love it. I think it's beautiful. And to quote Tolkien, courage is found in unlikely places. And we certainly find that in hero's stories, that oftentimes it is the uh, overlooked the um, very, very ordinary people that are capable of unbelievable courage and bravery and uh, are the greatest heroes. So I, of course, think of Franz Jagerstadter and so many people whose names we don't know who are in those unvisited tombs that George Eliot talks about, uh, that uh, we don't know about their heroics. And uh, it doesn't make them, to quote Tolkien from Return of the King, does not make them less valiant, quote, yet the deeds will not be less valiant because they are unpraised. So importantly, although hero stories are universal, although we celebrate them, a hero's journey is not dependent on our hearing it. Uh, a hero can exist in the quietest moments, in the forgotten moments. Uh, a hero's journey sometimes, uh, again, okay, I'm going to go back to Doctor Who again. If you don't watch the show, you really just, you got to tune in so you understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but now I almost don't want to give you this spoiler. Uh, okay, I'll be vague. Um, in some of the cases with the Doctor's companions, sometimes... Um, they themselves forget about what happens. Uh, they're unaware of the great sacrifices and their own great heroism. But it doesn't mean it didn't happen, and it doesn't mean it wasn't important, and it doesn't mean that they are not a hero. So heroics, uh, it's a journey. It's there and back again. It's for everybody. It's for ordinary people. Uh, it's for absolutely every single person can be a hero so i think that is the beauty of the hero's tale that we find in so many fairy tales and so many myths and legends and in so much popular culture today and remember though that the hero's story is not about vainglory it's not about ego it's not about uh showing off it's about sacrifice the one universal thing about the hero is again to quote Campbell, someone who has given her his or her life to something bigger than oneself. So the hero is willing to give up their own life for the sake of others. Frodo and Sam were ready to die on the side of Mount Doom. Uh, they were ready to die for the Shire. Their heroes, uh, they were saved, but many heroes aren't, and uh, it doesn't make their heroics any less valuable. So. Uh, I think that the hero's journey has a lot to teach us today. I think that if now that we're sort of aware we have this sort of hero's journey in our head, we can probably see it in so many different places and hopefully have hero's journeys of our own. You've been listening to On Fairy Stories. I'm Katie Marquette. I strayed out of thought. Time. Yeah, yeah, it's really done any more good. You know.